talk of the town. She pulls back your tangled curtain, and she watches. Her milky eyes swirl with contempt. You thought that the clover beneath your pillow kept you safe from her, imprisoned, excluded, exempt. She's inside before you know it without sound, in the form of a frail and panting hound. For some children, she's a pale, tall, gangly clown. She's the talk of the town. Now the butcher shop is silent. The streets are crypt-like quiet. Your cup that runneth over will spill like blood tonight. All children nestle tightly, under covers, beneath locked doors. We'll dream of hell and clanging bells and stir as squeaking floors. Her fingers more of bone than flesh, wriggle, writhe, and tap. The chests of newborn babies lost in splendid nap. The town will wake come morning from sweaty dreams of hounds and clowns with Nothing out of place. She's the talk of the town. From the tall crags and lush hollows to the massive waterfalls that rush along the stony cliffs thick with balsam pine. From hidden streams to hidden caves, the southern Appalachian mountains lick the air with such life and intensity that one can easily imagine wood fairies whirling and spinning about through the mist. The southern Appalachian mountains have for centuries cradled babies of a multitude of species, hardened men's hands and wills with their rugged and unforgiving seasons. Many a good man and woman have scratched out a living along the hills and valleys of southern Appalachia, where the wails of old church hymns can still be heard bouncing off of cliffs from lips that have long been entombed, and where laughter still rings out from boarded-up schoolhouses, and sweet music tickles your senses as it sails on the wind from barns and corn cribs long ago abandoned. For two hundred years, in contrast to the aforementioned beauty and majesty of the mountains, Tales of witches have made their way down the sylvan slopes into the stores, the churches, the homes of mountain folk. Consequently, generation upon generation of mountain children have tucked little Gideon Bibles beneath their pillows, praying for angel care and sweated themselves to sleep as they built Granny Beck in their little minds, pipe smoke and all. Thin trails of gray smoke like corn snakes wriggled from Granny Rebecca Hoxit Galloway Aiken's chimney. Candles sat glowing on her windowsills. Her old house sat in a clearing that ran alongside a laughing little brook. Granny Beck's little wooden shack just barely stood, supported by large pale stones that elevated the front end of the house, and around the house a low wall of river rock dotted with large flint, moss clinging to many. 
In the spring, daffodils grew all around her house, and the children from the Moses Creek and Caney Fork communities would sneak into Granny Beck's yard and steal handfuls of the golden flowers. It was always on a dare and never when she was home. Even though Granny Beck was never at home when the children did this, the audacious youngsters who stole from Granny Beck's yard always grew ill directly afterward. One young man took pneumonia only two weeks after grabbing a dozen or so flowers from her yard, and he died. Granny Beck made no sound when she walked. She was constantly on the move, her eyes a pale blue like campfire smoke, and her hair, always pulled into a tight bun, was as white as new cotton. Her face sagged with age like no one had ever seen, and her mouth was hard with no discernible lips. Granny Beck smoked a pipe that smelled like roasting ham and apples. No one knew how old she was, and she wasn't registered in the old church Bible. Some old-timers claimed that when they were children, she was just as old back then. Granny Beck carried with her a crooked stick that she used to support her old frame. As she scaled the mountains on her daily visits to the families who so despised seeing her coming, and around her neck tied shut with a piece of worn leather, the old witch carried a conjure bag. The bag, made of burlap, swung from side to side as she walked. Granny Beck was always whispering to herself, always making gestures of recognition to people and to things that no one else could ever see. Ruthie Mills lived high atop a mountain on Moses Creek with her mother, Mary, her father Eustace, her three brothers, and one baby sister. And on many occasions while playing in the remote forests around her home on the mountain, Ruthie was surprised by Granny Beck. Ruthie never heard Granny Beck approaching, nor did anyone else, and often Ruthie wasn't even on the trail when Granny Beck surprised her. Granny Beck would always whistle, and when Ruthie spun around, startled, Granny Beck would say in a voice that resembled a screech owl, You better get on home now, Ruthie. <laughs> just, just passed the devil on his way up here to get you. Ruthie was terrified of Granny Beck. The withered old hag had been known to have been in several different places at once, and sometimes she would disappear into thin air. Once on a fine day in the fall, Granny Beck appeared at the edge of the woods while Ruthie and her brothers and sisters were climbing into the back of their father's old wagon. Granny Beck called out with a wicked grin, Eustace! Could you carry me to the store? No room, Beck, Ruthie's father bellowed back and then quickly hurried the mules along. Ruthie watched as Granny Beck turned and slowly began to hobble back down the mountain trail she had climbed with great effort. Eustace had known Granny Beck to hitch rides into town before with other families, and the minute she got into their wagons, their mules would become panic-stricken and act out wildly, also, Ruthie's father knew that some 20 years prior, Granny Beck had been offered a ride to a county picnic 13 miles away. Granny Beck had denied the ride, but when the family arrived at the picnic ground, the old witch was already there. Some say she took the form of a sparrow and flew there, 
other scarecrow. When Ruthie jumped out of the wagon in town, her father harshly told her and her siblings not to wander far because he was just getting a sack of flour and it wouldn't take long, he said. Ruthie walked with her father into the tiny shack they called the town store. She eyed the pink and glue gumballs, the black licorice, orange slices sprinkled in sugar, chocolate-covered peanuts, but she knew better than to touch, never to ask. Ruthie was oblivious to the goings-on in the store as she wandered around a large stack of blankets and gently ran her short fingers along the side of an axe handle. Suddenly, her father called out her name sharply. Ruthie, get over here, girl. Ruthie ran to her father's side. She found him staring like a scared rabbit into a darkened corner of the store. For there, sitting by the crackling fire in an old weathered chair with a sharp little smirk on her pale and deeply wrinkled face, smoking her black pipe was Granny Beck. Granny Beck took a deep drag from her pipe with wreaths of stony smoke boiling from her slit of a mouth and around her head she croaked. When a fire cracks and pops, Ruthie, that's that old devil snapping his fingers at ye. Eustace cursed Granny Beck for being a witch, while the wiry little storekeeper shuffled into the back room so as to avoid any curses being laid unnecessarily upon him. On the long and bumpy ride back up the mountain, Eustace crowed loudly about Granny Beck's sorcery. The children, for once, were silent, so as to soak up every last heart-throbbing detail. As Mary listened, offering a head nod in agreement with something Eustace said from time to time, or a faint, that's right, every so often, Eustace filled the dusky drive time with stories of Granny Beck. He told of a Galloway man she'd once been married to, who'd mysteriously disappeared. He told of how she'd been arrested 22 years before, charged with fornication and adultery, at an advanced age. But it was the stories he'd heard as a child about the old witch and what he himself had actually witnessed her do that enchanted Ruthie and the other children the most. And as he spoke, the wagon that rattled along the steep mountain trail, melted away. It was no longer the year 1910, but 1880 instead. Ruthie could see it all. She walked as silent witness beside the little boy that still lived somewhere in her daddy. She crawled along beside him as he and his sisters, her adult aunts now, hid a broomstick beneath the porch of their old cabin. She heard the girl squeal with excitement. She's coming, she's coming. Then, with them, she hid in the laurel at the yard's edge as Granny Beck peeled back the limbs of some low-hanging pines and entered their dirty, rocky swath of a yard. Ruthie held her breath with the others as the old witch began to scale the porch steps. And just like them, she gasped, when Granny Beck stopped, lingered on the third step, then cut her cold eyes to where they were hiding in the laurel and said, How did you broomstick, did you? Everyone knew a witch could never step over a broomstick. Ruthie then, in a wink, 
as her father finished his first tale and quickly began another, set the stage. She turned off the bright sunlight of the previous story and, in its place, painted the star-filled sky of the second. As she set the stage, she found herself, just like before, walking with her father, albeit his teenage version, along a split-rail fence through tall, itchy grass. There were other boys about his age up under the trees. She could hear them laughing. Be quiet, her father hissed at the boys. There she is. Ruthie, following her father, ran to join the other boys sitting in the darkness at the edge of the forest. From where she was now crouched down, she could see a pasture glowing with moonlight. Strung across it like a crooked string, the split-rail fence she'd recently been standing beside with her father. Now watch. I've seen her do it, the teenage Eustace whispered to no one in particular. Don't move a muscle, he whispered again, this time with a tremor in his voice. Far down below in the field, nearing the fence, walking with the same stick Ruthie still knew her to tote in life, was Granny Beck. She was plodding along the trail Ruthie herself had walked hundreds of times, as it's the way her family always walked to church. Just before Granny Beck reached the fence, her father's eyes widened. She saw his lips were trembling. Watch now, he again whispered to the dark forms that were his bosom buddies. Forms, if Ruthie could see them better, would most likely be younger, fresher versions of her friend's daddies. Look! Eustace at last spouted. Down below in the moonlight, mere feet from the fence, Granny Beck was no longer there. But where she had been, a gangly brown calf with bold white spots reared up on its hind legs, then shimmied beneath the old wooden fence. When well on the other side of the fence, the calf disappeared behind some tall dead corn stalks, and then as if a trick of the moon or the stars. It was again Granny Beck's white hair that was visible through the breaks in the corpses of corn. All the boys screamed and ran up into the dark woods, leaving Ruthie alone in time, watching a woman she still knew, watching a witch. The wagon hit an exceptionally deep rut, jolting Ruthie from her father's flashback that she had so deliciously wrapped herself in. For the remainder of the ride up the mountain trail, Ruthie's father told of how someone by the name of Elihu Coward had upset Granny Beck one night by not allowing her to make a warlock of him. Ruthie didn't ask what a warlock was. Eustace also told of how afterward Elihu had been ridden by Granny Beck for the rest of his days. She didn't understand that either. He told of how Granny Beck had made the ghost of some killer follow her great-grandparents' home from a hanging once. He talked of Granny Beck wearing a horseshoe burn after someone put a red-hot horseshoe in the milk she had cursed. He talked of where Granny Beck went on New Moon Nights, a place called Judah Color Rock, to cast her most heinous spells. And whether Ruthie understood it all or not, she listened, and every tale... Every greasy grin, every curse, every scream her father meticulously carved out was soon tattooed across 
her young soul. As their family's clattering wagon eased through the fast-falling night, the darkness began playing tricks on Ruthie's eyes. Ruthie saw Granny back in every shadow and dark place, and the air smelled of roasting ham and apples. Just as the wagon turned into the dark barn at Ruthie's house, a fat black crow that seemed to sail from out of the barn's rafters tore into Ruthie's mother's hair, then, with an eerie caw and slapping wings, flew off into the darkness of the deepening night and vanished. The bird could be heard cawing fast and mockingly as it sailed away on the wind, leaving Mary, Ruthie's mother, with thin creaks of blood running from her torn scalp down over her eyes and across her parted lips. The next day, Ruthie's baby sister answered a knock at the door. It was Granny Beck. After tugging the small child away from the doorway, Mary stepped to the entrance with a light blue rag wrapped tightly around her head. What happened to you, young'un? The old witch asked with a crooked smile. Terrified of Granny Beck, Mary told the old crone that she had fallen in the barn. Granny Beck made a strange sound within her throat and asked for what she had come for. Mary, I'm plum out of sugar and flour. Can I get a poke full of both of them from you? The old witch inquired. Mary knew she could give the items to the old witch, but if she did, she would catch hell from Eustace when he got home. So Mary told Granny Beck that she had none to spare and politely excused herself and shut the door. That night, all of the flour and sugar in the house was soured. None of it was salvageable. Granny Beck was also known to borrow things, and once she did, the person whom she had borrowed from would grow very sick every time. She once asked to borrow a white dress from Ruthie's mother. When Mary refused and left the old woman behind the front door, she found her white dress, which had been laid across her bed, completely burned and turned to ashes. Nothing else was harmed, but the dress fell apart immediately. Time passed. Ruthie grew into a lovely young woman. She married a local man and moved into a small cabin down the mountain near the river. In Ruthie's new home by the river, she would see Granny Beck from time to time through the window. The old witch would be hunkered down on her stick at the edge of the woods, peering through locks of snow white, no longer keeping her hair tight and tied as she'd always done. It was winter when it happened. The neighbors ran across the frost-covered earth in the wee hours of morning to tell Ruthie and her husband Bill the news. Granny Beck's house had burned to the ground in the night. Ruthie and her husband Bill quickly dressed and raced toward Granny Beck's derelict cabin. As Ruthie and the others stood bundled from head to toe in the freezing wind, watching the smoke rise from the remains of Granny Beck's smoldering home, a crow began to call. Ruthie was the only one in the group to pay the bird any mind. She traced the treetops with her eyes, looking for the crow. She never saw it, but it continued to call. Today all that's left of Granny Beck's cabin are some charred black chimney rocks, completely overtaken by nature. But that's not where her story ends. When Ruthie was herself a very old woman, she was attending a church service 
one late evening in the fall. She overheard a young boy telling his mother in the back row of the church about an old witch he had just seen in the graveyard. The mother hushed the child, but Ruthie turned around curiously. The service had yet to begin, and many of the townsfolk were socializing in the church. Ruthie gained the attention of the mother of the child, and she sent the child up to where Ruthie was sitting. The child was shy, but Ruthie had kind eyes. She asked the little boy about the witch she had overheard him telling his mother about. The child paused for a moment with his head hung low before he spoke. Then he timidly said she was ugly and had a stick. I didn't hear her walk up. She had a little bag hanging round her neck, too. He went on to say that he had been playing in the graveyard, trying to catch lightning bugs, when out of nowhere the old woman had appeared. The child told Ruthie what the old woman had said, and Ruthie just nodded in acceptance. He told her that the witch had said, You better get on down to that preacher man, boy, because I just passed the devil on his way up here to get you. Ruthie just smiled and told the child to go back to his mother. Throughout the years, there have been countless sightings of Granny Rebecca Hoxett Galloway Aiken by hikers and campers in the Moses Creek and the Caney Fork areas of Jackson County. They all seem to describe her the same way, being wiry, toting a stick. Some have seen her from a distance and reported it to authorities because they thought it strange that a old woman would be out walking so deep in the mountains. Some have even gone so far as to describe the smell that accompanied her. A smell of roasting ham and apples. Had the child seen the old witch Granny Beck? Had Granny Beck ever really died? Or had she ever really lived? Was she more demon than flesh? Does she still scale those mountain trails in search of unsuspecting children? Do Granny Beck and the devil slow dance along the moon-dusted paths in the wee hours of morning? Maybe she's the lone crow that doesn't fly away with the others when you pass by. Maybe she's the murderer of crows that splits the stillness of a late autumn day with wings in unison in a symphony of screeches. Maybe it's the hem of her skirt rustling in the leaves and the laurels and not the squirrels you assumed. Maybe what you were certain was campfire smoke in reality was the wisp of her pipe. And maybe what you cast off is a trick of the dying of day, a mirage, a mistake of the eye, really was Granny Beck, really was the Witch of Caney Fork. A tiny, easily overlooked headstone stands tucked away in the Balsam Grove Baptist Church Cemetery in Jackson County, North Carolina. Upon the stone, Granny Beck's birth and death dates read May of 1831 to August of 1912. However, no one knows how accurate the stone or the dates are, as there is no formal record of her birth or her death. The ancient little rock has but recently been adorned with a minuscule silver 
name tag that states the date and in quotations says, Granny Beck. Most residents of the area laugh at the stone marker, for they know in their hearts Granny Beck's frail, wicked frame isn't there resting beneath cedars and tall pines, but rather trotting the canopied trails of the back of beyond, still easing along the clandestine back roads, still whistling and nodding to entities that only she can see, and as always, eagerly awaiting the fall of night, a time of stars and screech owls and mountain magic.